Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? Woo. Well, Adam took all of my jokes. So I don't know how well this is going to go. Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I'm glad to be with you guys. Uh, it's an honor to be here today, uh, this evening with you all. Um, our church used to meet on a Sunday night uh, for a while. So even as I was typing my notes, I was like, it's good to be here this morning. But it's obviously the evening. So anyway, I'm glad to be with you all. My name is John. Um, I am married to a beautiful young lady named Casey. It's been 14 years now that we've been married. We have five children at our home, and Adam didn't want them to come, um, so, so they're not here. Um, he said, we specifically don't do twins or five children, and I was sad. Casey's live streaming, though, so she knows how that's going. So... Uh, over 10 years, I was the founder and pastor of a church called Normandy, um, and oftentimes at our church, what we would do is begin a sermon with honor, and chapter 12, Paul says um, to outdo one another in showing honor, and so I am very competitive, and I like to win, and finally, there was this place in the Bible where I could be competitive, so I'm going to try and outdo all of you in showing honor here in a moment. Um, honor, to me, is about honoring who someone is without stumbling over who they are not. So you can acknowledge, like, the good things about them, the way God made them, without worrying about all the other things um, that they struggle with. And so I, I really just wanted to say, um, really, to Adam. And Adam and Amy, they actually took two of our foster kids. That it was called, what is it called? Respite care. Many moons ago. Was it two or one? It was two. It was how many? Just one. We had ten. Who was it? It was Jojo. Jojo, one of the babies we had, is one of the reasons why now that we have a girl, finally, the girls are twins. We have three boys and then two girls. She got the name Lee because we wanted to be able to say Jojo. And so we've had so many children in our homes, our home. Anyway, so I want to honor um, Adam specifically as my friend. He took a lot of the story away, but we met at this thing called the Anchored Collective, and soon thereafter, we were shipping foster kids to them, so thank you for that. But this group started because as local pastors, what you do is you go to coffee shops, and then you, like, you get your big Bible out. It's like a peacock. It's like a challenge to see, like, let me teach you theology. And you, you go, and we'd see each other at these coffee shops, and eventually, this group formed into what we called uh, the Anchored Collective. And... Um, I, you already made the joke, but he was the resident mystic because he was using all these prayers that started in Latin terms, uh, and he would talk about like the Nicen Creed. I, I don't know how to pronounce it because I'm really old school Baptist, so I couldn't tell if he was, you know, I was like, is this okay, biblically speaking? You know, I was like kind of more like a fundamentalist. Um, and I was the resident loudmouth, A, but that also charismatic, so just hold on. I don't know if snakes are going to come out. We have to, like, capture them and, like, throw them out. We'll just see how this goes. But it's going to be interesting tonight, so just, just get excited. Um, and then I'm, I think you all know this guy, or at least aware of it. You all know Jordan Sutton and Clearpath? Yeah. Prayer school, yeah. 
So Sutton talks like this about God, and he says, all true mystics become charismatic, and all true mystics, or charismatics become mystic. And it turned out to be true for me. I'm still waiting for him to get more of a dose of the ghost, as we say in my charismatic circles. But I, I, I began to become this contemplative charismatic, and it was by being around these guys and learning what they were learning and thinking how they were thinking. It was really awesome. But, um, Adam, I just want to say I'm proud to call you friend, man. I really do love you, and it's a joy to be here with you all. So thank you for that, my friend. Um, yeah. So my heart for today's message is twofold. Message is twofold. Um, over the years, um, I, I really identify with Peter in the Bible, you know, like talking a lot and getting in trouble. And... Um, but over the years, as I preached, I began to think about, like, Sundays and the point of, like, what the pastor does. And, you know, if I preach really well and, like, hit it out of the park and people cried or they got the Holy Spirit goose tingles, you know, I felt like it was a win, right? And, and I kind of left that. And I just feel like what pastors are supposed to do is lead the charge in reminding us of who God is, who we are, and what we're called to do. So hopefully along the lines of that, somewhere today you'll be reminded, oh, yeah, this is who God is. Oh, yeah, this is who we are. Oh, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. So hopefully that's a part of the message. And as I, th as I thought about this time, I, I really do like microphones. I like to preach, but I don't think this is really a preaching sermon. I don't really think it's that much of a teaching sermon either. Um, hopefully that idea of y'all being reminded of who God is, who we are, and what we're called to do is just going to come from some stories more than anything. So I just want to share with you kind of my story, my family's story of following Jesus. So hopefully that's how that happens. But the second part of my heart today comes from Romans 1.11. Paul says this, For I long to see you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So every opportunity that I've had to preach and minister outside of my home church, this verse has kind of been my heartbeat. Like, I hope that today when you leave here, I, I know someone, if you had like x-ray vision, you could see these arrows that have just hit like your heart and your mind throughout the week, right? And, and so what I hope happens is that there's a sense of ministry, like the Spirit himself comes and bears witness with your spirit that you are a son or a daughter of the Almighty, that the warfare that is out there, and I'm not talking about from a charismatic side, I'm just saying it's life is hard. And so I'm hoping today that you leave here ministered, encouraged to. So with that in mind, uh, for those of you who like to take notes, all you threes on the Enneagram, you ones are going, this is off to a rough start. <laughs> but the title of my message is called The Downward Mobility of the Kingdom. It would seem to me that in God's kingdom, where what he wants done is done, doesn't necessarily look like me living my best life or even success. It seems to me that God's kingdom has a downward slope to it, you know, being with the least of these, being humble. And so I think that God's kingdom looks like sometimes looking us into greater humility and nearness to him. And some of us, yes, will have success and prosperity. To others, like Peter, as we'll see in a moment, he kind of leads him to the grave. And you're going, John, I thought you were going to encourage us today. <laughs> so what I want to do is I want to read us a passage from John that I'm going to use as part of my story. And then I'll tell you the story, and then we'll see where it goes from there. 
So this is from John 21. I'm going to read 18 through 22, actually. So I want you to envision, um, this is actually at the Sea of Galilee. This is after Jesus' resurrection. And like the, all of his disciples were with Jesus. They, they saw him crucified. And afterwards, it's so much that Peter's like, look, dude, I'm going back to fishing. And this would be, I think I saw it, um, it would be about a 34-hour walk from Jerusalem to, to um, what do you call it, the Sea of Galilee. And this is where this is happening. They just had the miracle of fish where um, Peter throws the, the net on the other side. They've been fishing all night. Nothing had happened. And this dude shows up, and they're like, I think that's Jesus. But I don't know. This has been a trippy couple of days. And he's like, just throw it on the other side one more time. They do, and they basically tear the nets, getting the fish in the boat. And so it's this place where Jesus is coming around, envisioned like a charcoal fire, and he's with other disciples. John's there, obviously, because he's the beloved, and he's writing his notes about what's happening here. So he's reading to this, and, you know, we're, it's one of those moments where they left Jerusalem and went up to Galilee, and here's Jesus going after them. And I've kind of come to this place in my faith journey where I'm like, I'm kind of tired of running after Jesus. I want him to run after me for a while. And then here's this moment in the text where it actually happened. I don't know that Jesus ran. He had a new body. He could have just floated. I don't know how he did this. And he went to his disciples, and he's having this conversation. A little context. So he's talking to him, and he says, Peter, look, here's the deal. It doesn't say that in my version, but that's how I envisioned him talking to me. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old... You'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to him to show him what kind of death he was going to glorify God. After that, saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Oh, sorry, that's not what it says. Jesus turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And the one also had leaned back on him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? John really wants He's like... Tell me it's John without telling me it's John. He just told you he was John, the beloved. <clears throat> when Peter saw him, he said, well, Lord, what about this one? He's like, you just told me, and it doesn't sound so good, but what about the one, this guy, that says, he goes around calling himself the beloved disciple. And Jesus said, uh, said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. That's it's kind of tough to hear, but this is how Jesus is talking. He's leading the disciples together, and he's speaking to them individually about what's going to be happening in their lives as they're trying to follow him. And so with that in mind, if you don't mind, let me take a moment to pray and even center myself. I was getting into the flow there trying to center, but join me in prayer if you don't mind, and I'll talk some more. So, Jesus, uh, we come before you today just to honor you. Uh, We welcome your kingdom. We invite your kingdom here today, Lord. I pray that today each heart and mind would be stirred just a bit more towards you. And I pray, Jesus, that you would run after us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So on October 16th of last year, I was being wheeled by a rather inept orderly in a hospital bed in Baylor, downtown, for my second uh, CT scan. 
As several radiologists would later confirm, I'd suffered a brain bleed two nights prior on my 41st birthday called by, uh, caused by an unverified head trauma. On October 15th, and this is a year ago, I was watching my team, the Houston Astros. They were facing off against the Boston Red Sox in the American League Championship Series. This is all things that I remember, which is going to be important in a moment. Shortly thereafter, I lost consciousness. My wife came to me later, and she told me that I walked by and said, I think I just fainted. I have no recollection of this. A few, minutes, a few moments later, I looked down on my phone, and I saw October 15th, and, and that's my birthday, but I could not comprehend that it was actually my birthday. I could remember we went to a restaurant before. We went to have some barbecue, and I, I could look and see my, my birthday presents on the table, and I looked down, but I could not comprehend that it was my birthday. And dread started to creep over me because I knew something was wrong. And I began to cry a bit. I had a little bit of a headache. And, I, and Casey kind of freaked out. She's like, are you playing with me? What are you doing? And, and I'm like, I can't compute what's going on here. The next day, I was at Baylor Hospital. And I was starting to become very nauseous, very sensitive to light. And I was starting to suffer from double vision. And after an EKG and my first CT scan, the ER doctor came to me and told me and said, you have blood in your brain. After a few um, responses that were less than acceptable for Christians, let alone pastors, I began, um, I've, I've always been, you know, like the parable of the two sons. Jesus is like, hey, y'all go to the fields today. And one's like, sure, dad. And then he doesn't go. I'm not that one. I'm the guy that's like, no. And then I'm like, okay, I'll go. So after that initial kind of rough response, um, I began to ask Jesus, and I asked him three times, how are you coming to me? How are you coming to me? And each time I asked him, Jesus spoke to me. So here's where one of those reminders is. Yeah, here's one of the reminders, is that Jesus is your shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. And in that moment, one of the first times I asked him in the hospital, I said, how are you coming to me? Right after I got the news of the brain bleed, and all I heard was, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You know, one of his only answers to human weakness is, it's okay, I'll be there. He doesn't tell you how it's going to go down, oftentimes. But his only, oftentimes, his only answer is, I'll be there. No matter what you go through, I am with you. And that's pretty good because in the garden, you know, back in the day, Adam was alone and in perfection without sin, a few Tyrannosaurus Rexes walking around. God says, it's not good that you're alone. It's not good to alone. In, in, in the garden where everything's perfect, perfect relationship here, he says, it's not good that you'd be alone. And so in the hospital alone, Freaking out, he told me, I am with you. During my time in the hospital, I began to learn more profoundly um, that, than ever before that Jesus is and was my shepherd. He was leading me then, and I, I like to think he's leading me now. Even when life doesn't work out like I'd hoped, and I, I just have been reminded that he is actually my shepherd. I also want to remind you, and, and here's where that mystic and charismatic come together, that our great shepherd still speaks to people today. 
You know, John 10, 10, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I call them by name. It's really important to know this cognitively, but it's more important to experience it relationally. Because you can know lots of facts about Jesus, but if he is who he says he is, which is the Lord of heaven and earth right now, like what we believe is crazy. I just want you to know that. So if you've got your doubts, welcome to the club. But last time I read, he's alive in bodily form somewhere outside of time, and he is the Lord of heaven and earth right now. That's the essence of the good news to me, that Jesus is the Lord. Not whatever circumstances you are, but Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Son of Man. He stands at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I, and he is actually the Lord, and he still speaks today. My sheep hear my voice, and I call them by name. Like, he knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows your circumstances. And he speaks today. Dallas Willard, famously charismatic mystic, said this in Hearing God. Hearing God, question mark, a daring idea, some would say, presumptuous and even dangerous. But what if we are made for it? What if the human system simply will not function properly without it? That's a good word. In those moments in the hospital, and if ever you're in a hospital, it's a great place to hear from Jesus. In fact, it's like a necessity. You're like, I, I kind of need to hear my Savior talk to me. Now, back to my rather inept orderly for my second CT scan. He was inept because it would be like, jug, 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 jug. Sir, there's a bump. I'm like, yeah, dog, I know. <laughs> I know. So I was half drunk due to this anti-seizure medicine that they'd been giving me for the last 24 hours. The bright fluorescent lights were now like greatly impacting my, uh, exacerbating my dull headache that I'd had. And he was wheeling me through the hospital and I was scared. We didn't know why I had had this brain bleed. They thought it was an aneurysm, uh, vasculitis, AVM, I can't remember what that one stands for, all these different terms. And nobody knew. You know, it's like the doctors, I concur, I concur. They didn't really know. It's like, well, there's, there's, a, there's blood in your brain. That was basically what we knew. I had a subdermal hematoma and several microbleeds, intracranial microbleeds at this point. So what he did is he took me to the bowels of Baylor Hospital, and he led me into the hallway where I sat there, half naked, half drunk, blinded by the lights. And I was scared, and they wheeled me next to a man who just had a kidney removed uh, previously, and his other kidney was infected, and he was in agony. And I'm sitting here, and I can't, really, I can't really move that much. And I'm sitting here listening to this guy kind of agonize in pain. He's refusing pain medication. And it's kind of terrifying. This is kind of the seedier part of the hospital where they take, I don't know, poor people. I mean, it was scary, like honestly. I was, I was scared. It wasn't luxurious. There was nothing glamorous about it. And so in that moment, I asked Jesus again, how are you coming to me? And I heard... In my mind, Isaiah 53, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that's before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And it was weird because in this moment, I don't know if you think I'm crazy or if you think I just had a traumatic brain injury and I was hallucinating and all that might be true, but it was like Jesus was talking to me about himself and not me. And in that moment, I had kind of a knowing of him. It's like he knows what it's like to be led where he doesn't necessarily know where he's going. He knows what it's like to go through a scary place. He's like a sheep that was led to a slaughter. And so I didn't, like, wig out about the, the slaughtering part. Like, I, I didn't think he, he wasn't talking about me. He was talking to him about himself. 
It was quite comforting, actually, because the last 24 hours had really been about me. I mean, like, my family's freaking out. Our twins are at this point, I don't know, April, May, June, July, August, October, six months old. We have no idea why I caused it, this, what caused this, and so we were all very scared. But I could tell that Jesus knew. I knew something about him. I could tell that he had been through this, and that was somewhat comforting to me. It was very comforting and in that moment, it was like it kept going. And so I recalled this interaction that Jesus had with Peter on the shores there after the fishing in Galilee. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk around wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show how, what kind of death he was, glorif- he was to glorify God. For those of you who know the story of Peter, he was later crucified upside down is what church history teaches us. He didn't want to be crucified like Jesus because he felt unworthy. So he said, flip me upside down. That is crazy. And Jesus is saying, that's where you're going, and I'm going to lead you there. So I realized in that moment that Jesus was both my Savior. Jesus, my Savior, was acting both as shepherd and as Lord. And there's sometimes he leads us in these places that are rather uncomfortable. They're rather difficult to go. So over the years, um, you know, over the years, our church, uh, Normandy, we, we, we kind of, we really evolved and we changed. Uh, there's so many different chapters and seasons of a church, but uh, there in the last couple of years, really during COVID, we began to say this phrase, which is very similar to y'all, we practice following Jesus together. You see, I grew up in a, a a church where it was really about my quiet time and me, and you just kind of showed up to church and did your thing, and it was like you and Jesus, right? But it really seems like throughout the text, from old to new, it's all about the people of God following God wherever he's leading. And so this shift in our mentality began to come about practicing following Jesus together. And so for us as Christians, to identify with Christ means we are to be apprenticed with him willingly, and then we give up control because he is the Lord. That means of every part of our heart, every, every section of our lives, that he is Lord over it. He's sovereign over it. He, he, is, he can do what he wishes because he's the boss in essence, and he comes and he invites people to be apprenticed to him, to follow him, and then it's all well and good because you get saved, you get filled with some joy and some encouragement, you get put in a family, and then there's times where the Savior comes around and starts putting his finger in something that you're like, wait a minute, I wanted you to be Lord about the part where I didn't get to go to hell but got to heaven. I like that part. I like the part where you prosper me and like you, you put me in like, and I don't want to be the tail, I want to be the head. I like that part of following you, but not the part where we start to go down. I, I don't like that part <laughs> necessarily. I don't like it. And so for us as followers of Jesus, there's times when he's, he is leading us into Death Valley, and it's quite uncomfortable, but that's part of the gig. It's like when you sit, for those of you that are married, and they give you those really intense vows to, you know, to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others till death do you part. It's like that part of following a Jesus, that commitment of your will that says, I'm willing to go where you go. I'm willing to stay where you stay. I'm willing to go where you send me, to go to the church that you'd have me go, take the job that you'd have me to work at. I'm willing to marry and to live and to operate in the way in which you are leading me and my family to do it. So my question to you all is this. If Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, He's truly the Lord of heaven and earth right now, and He's truly a good shepherd and yours and mine, 
Are you willing to follow him even if it ends badly? It's a, it's, you know, it's easy to say that like at a missions conference. Yes, Lord, here I am. Send Adam. That was a Bible joke. <laughs> but it's hard when it gets to the, the difficult moments to keep choosing to follow Jesus. So this brain bleed began to highlight a transition for me and my family and for our church. Tim Keller, who's a pastor up in New York, I think he's retired now, but he's still leading, uh, he's still leading in ministry. Um, but during COVID, he, he's, he's got this such prophetic wisdom. And like at the height of it, I think we all went on lockdown in that March or April, whenever it was. He said, look, someone was like, what do you think God's doing? And he's like, look, every church is going to have to replant after this. And I'd been sensing that for our church for a while, but he's like, every church is going to have to change because they don't know who's at their church now because, you know, we're all zooming around and like Harry Potter or something. I don't know. That's, I shouldn't, anyway. So you're like on Zoom. You don't really know who's there and you don't know what the people's needs are going to be because the world is completely different than before. Like whether we like it or not, the world is com- like significantly changed. And that's why I think Tim Keller was speaking with this prophetic wisdom. He's like, look, the way that it's been going before, it's like Jesus is kind of like in, you know, in Revelation. He's like over the church with a sword going, look, guys, we need, to, we need to talk. And we can't keep going the same way that we've been going. So I was kind of sensing this. And, and uh, Tim also said, my friend Tim, <laughs> he also said, he's like, look, you don't know what the needs of the community are going to be after this as well. So in essence, every church is going to have to rethink, think again about how they're doing church together. And so the brain bleed really highlighted, like, man, there's a transition coming for our church and for me and for my family. But we didn't know where it was. We didn't know what it was going to look like, what it was going to act like. We didn't know anything. And as I look around at, like, the big C church, I'm still, like, beating this drum of, man, man like, the world has transitioned. Jesus is leading us to change. And I, I have some idea about it, but not a ton. I'm not sure of all the implications, but I believe it's going to be a departure from, like, a light show and kind of a return to just following Jesus together, like simply, like a, re- a return to simplicity in our homes and our vocation and our recreation, like just returning to some of the older things. Anyhow, at the beginning of this year, 2022, our church began to seek the Lord because COVID like really hurt our church. At one point, I mean, I was, I, I'm, I speak hyperbolically, so it's like I over-exaggerate because I'm a pastor. You know, you've got one. <laughs> like, at the height of Normandy, like, man, we had like had 120 adults. We were raising money for a building. And then by the end of it, I was like asking people if I could have their permission to like take the money that they'd given and, and give it away to other organizations. And some people were asking for money back. Like, this is great. Give me my, you know. $50,000. So here I am as a pastor cutting checks. It was just a mess. Anyway, so I, like at the height of who we are, I was like, yeah, we're just, you know, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be a minor mega church because I was trying to keep my ego intact. I was like, we'll probably run like 100, 120 now, but I'm thinking like 500 in a year. What do you think? Is that good? 500 people, multiple locations, but we'll do it smaller just so we can be attached to the local community. Um, and we can do life and practice justice. You know what I'm talking about. But it didn't go like that. And it was really, really disappointing and frustrating to me. And so we began to seek God because COVID just, as you all know, 
really was like this unveiling. Like it was really revelatory and like out of the overflow of the heart, like everyone was just speaking on Twitter or whatever it was, just uh, angry. I don't know how you tweet because I deleted it because it didn't do good for my soul. But anyway, we were seeking the Lord and like, man, it was like you're not liberal enough or you're too liberal. You're too conservative. You're not conservative enough. You talked too little or too much about race or sexuality and like, I started to watch, like, throughout the years as a pastor, I lost deep friends as we shepherded. But then during COVID, it was like, like, it was like a ghost town. We started to come back, and we were fighting hard for it and praying. You know, it wasn't matter how he preached or how we changed. It was, just, it was just kind of like the incredible shrinking church. Very, very tough. And then throw all that in there, and then you have a brain bleed, right? So we started seeking the Lord. <clears throat> And, and as I looked around, uh, you know, I had this real, I had a view of what success was. You know, I had a view of what it would look like when I'd follow Jesus. Here I am, I'm about to be 42, and I'm like, this is not what I had planned. This was like, the, some of the children, I, I kind of like, which one would I take? Because there's so many of them, it's hard to know. But like, just some of them, not all of them, I'm joking, a little bit. But I just did not envision this at all. Like, it was even before social media, but I was going to be an influencer. I mean, just, this is what I was thinking, and it did not go that way. In fact, it kept getting a little bit lower and slower and smaller. And I have lots of energy, and I'm really excited about things, and I can cast vision, and I can talk for days. And and I found this recently. There was a Japanese theologian, I don't remember his name, but he talked about... um, a three-mile-per-hour God. It's like if you really, really want to walk with Jesus, then you can only go about as fast as you can when you're walking because he walked. And then if he gets on a donkey, it goes even slower because, you know, well, they're donkeys. And so, like, if you really want to follow Jesus, you really have to go slow, which is really, really hard for American evangelicals. It's very difficult. At least it is for me. I'm not judging you that, but I, I was like that. So throughout the years especially during COVID, I, like Peter, compared and complained to Jesus about all these other folks, even some of the ones in Anchored. I was like, I thought I would at least be at their level. You know, in my back of my mind, I'm like, new devils, new levels, you know, here we go. I don't know if you've heard that, but that was more of the weird, charismatic part of my background. And his response to me, every time I complained or compared was, you follow me. And you're like, okay. Okay. On our last Sunday as a church, I had several people come up to me and Casey both and say, man, now, John, you're going to be successful. Now you're, Not only that, you're going to really prosper. And I was like, uh, I don't know that that's necessarily true. And I, like, my heart was both hurt and I was angry. I was like, do you mean I, I wasn't successful the last 10 years? You mean I wasn't prosperous? I went from no children, not being able to have children, to having five children. And I talked about Jesus to people. I'm, I, I don't know. I know a lot of people that were different after having come to our church. <laughs> Me too. You know what I mean? I'm like, so what is, what is actual success, right? What does it look like? And so I, I, Casey and I are really still in a desert place. It's coming around a little bit, which is nice. 
But if he's the shepherd that was leading me, sovereign over shepherding me through a brain bleed, through a transition, then it's so helpful to me to remind myself, I'm like, he's still the Lord. Jesus, how are you coming to me? How do I pay attention to him in these moments? And so that's what I've been learning about in this time of transition. And, you know, one of the hard things about being a pastor for so long is I'm not a pastor anymore vocationally. I don't, I mean, I got, I got a little change in my pocket to preach tonight. Praise God. Thank you for your generosity. But my vocation is different. And that's very hard because my, my role as pastor and my identity were so intertwined, it's hard to separate them. Like, I, I know what Adam feels like when a guest come, preacher comes in and you, like, want everyone to look good and sing good and have good songs. And, like, you just, like, these are things we talk about all the time. It's like, it's, it's like nonstop. And so now that's, like, it's gone for me. So I'm like, who am I? And in those moments, Jesus comes and he says, you're mine. You're still my son. You're still the rock. He called me that once. You're still my warrior priest. And I have not followed Jesus well, but I'm like that son that's like, no, fine. <laughs> Some of you have a kid like that. Some of you are that kid. Let the reader understand. But those moments, man, in the hospital, Jesus, how are you coming to me? I am with you. Like a sheep before a shear is in silent. I know what it's like, John, to be led, not knowing where you're going. The essence of following Jesus is in that slow walk, and sometimes there's that downward mobility in the kingdom. And it can be so difficult when you look around and compare, and then he just says, hey, right here, you're mine. I'm with you. Don't worry about all these others. You follow me. You follow me. You follow me. I'm beginning to think that God's power is best displayed in a tiny seed that falls to the ground and dies. Like, I don't know if you've had a dream that you've lost, a marriage, a sibling, a son, a daughter, a business, where you've lost it. And it could be because of your own, <laughs> your own fault on one sense. But as Christians, we have this hope that Jesus is the Lord and he's our shepherd and that he knows what's going on, that he, he cares more about you than you do. Like he's more, he's like more about his will for your life than you are. And in those places, he's coming and leading you through those things so that you can walk with him in community with others, right? And so I'm beginning to think, that's, my, that's where my mindset has my mindset has shifted to is thinking about, man, that seed that falls to the ground and died, dies, and then all of a sudden it starts to grow and become something bigger than it was before after the seed had died, after it's gone. It gives me great hope, which, by the way, the hope for us as believers is not necessarily getting out of hell and into heaven, but that God gets out of heaven and into us so that we can walk with him, and then when we do really walk through the valley of shadow death, it's, it's not just floating around in a clown, it's actually resurrection. That's nuts. These bodies completely redeemed. I think mine's going to change. I'm going to be like as tall as LeBron James. 
and look like Thor and sing like Eddie Vedder is kind of what I'm going for. But our hope is not just then and there, but it's here and now. God of heaven and earth in you and I together walking around with us so that when we go through those valleys of the shadow of death, we can hope together for that resurrection, for something that's more than we could ask or imagine. And that's been very centering and very grounding for me. I don't think success is what I thought it was. I think success is, could better be defined as staying power. I love that. Y'all, y'all said it earlier, like present to his presence. That three-mile-per-hour God, the ability to stay near and attuned to him, to his presence and to his voice, takes a lot of the stress out of things. I just forget that from time to time, that my main job is to walk humbly with my God, to walk with him. I think that his power is better displayed less in miracles, excuse me, but more in that steadfast, loyal love that says, okay, Jesus, I trust you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. Oh, for grace to trust him more. It's not easy, but it sure ends up being sweet when you hear from him and you know him. So, Kelly, do you mind? What I want to do, uh, uh, just for a moment, is give us all an opportunity to hear from Jesus. I don't know where your faith scale is. You don't have to, like, actually demonstrate it. But if you want, you can do a thumb meter. So this is like you're just, you know, floating around. Woo! Or it can be down here. You don't have to demonstrate, but just a little bit. No, no one. Okay. <clears throat> so I want us to take a moment to listen to Jesus together. And, I mean, Adam, I think you were one of the first guys that introduced me to the idea of Lectio. And what I want us to do is, like, envision listening to Jesus like if he were here king of the Jews he walks into the room like what would you do you can use your imagination to picture picture Jesus this is not like making an idol in a graven image so don't worry you're not in sin but Jesus could you picture him walking in the room to the neighborhood church here in Garland and talking to you I mean, that's what was happening at the charcoal fire. Peter, James, and John, like, John's overhearing some of this conversation because there's that idea that when we're following Jesus, we're doing it together. But at the same time, he gets to speak. We get to be, uh, he gets to speak to us individually. And so it's not just that he speaks to pastors because we're so holy. Or like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham but that Jesus comes down the road and starts speaking to you just as you are and not as you should be because you're never going to be as you should be, but he comes and speaks to you today as you are. So what I want us to do is have just a moment to listen, but not just for yourself, but then also for the church because you are the church. Y'all are the hands and the feet here planted by God for this area, for his glory, for your joy and for the joy of these other people. So what I want us to do is take a moment to listen for us ourselves individually and then listen for what God is doing in the midst of the neighborhood church. Does that make sense? I'm really charismatic. So you have to nod a little bit. I need a little bit more. And you can have fun in the presence of the Lord. It's wonderful to do that <clears throat> and laugh. At least I hope so. <laughs> so here's what I'd like you to do. 
Go ahead and close your eyes and just get as comfortable as you can without falling asleep because that would offend me and you don't want to offend me. <laughs> but just take a moment and I want you to feel your back against the pew, maybe your feet on the ground and just start breathing. Take a moment then with an in-breath, just Jesus, Son of David. You can say it internally or externally. And as you exhale, have mercy on me. So with an in-breath, Jesus, Son of David. And exhale, have mercy on me. Now, use your imagination for a moment longer. I want you to pretend like you had almost like this sort of internal x-ray vision. So I want you to with your eyes, scan to the tip of your head, to the tip of your toes. And just take a moment to notice where you've got anxiety, or you might have joy. You might have some distraction. That's all right. Just envision laying it at his feet. And then again, with a few more breaths, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, if you pictured, if you could, picture Jesus walking in the room and just ask him that question, how are you coming to me? Not the person next to you, not Pastor Adam. Jesus, how are you coming to me right now? Write it down, take note of it, and then ask him, what do you want me to know right now? quick little scan and notice if there if that anxiety went down a little bit or if the joy increased if there was more peace that'd be a huge win and the last question I want us to ask again we envision Jesus as being head of the church head of the body you all of which you're a member of the neighborhood church just envision Jesus speaking to you about this church we're going to ask the same two questions. Jesus, how are you coming to the neighborhood church? ask him, what do you want us to know? What do you want us to know right now?
heads up. Anybody get converted? I'm funny in my own mind. How did it go? Let's have just a brief interaction because I, I think I was, am I okay on time? I'm really good. good. Um, what did you get? Like, I know y'all do this a lot. This is not new to me anymore, but this was really revolutionary, just being quiet. <laughs> How did it go? Like, just a few people's feedback. Did, did anyone go from, like, anxiety to peace or, like, I don't know? Joy to more joy, that's fine with me. But how did it go? Just a few bits of interaction, like out, out loud. Really? Can you tell us more? What happened? Did you see a picture? Did you hear the Lord? What happened? Hmm. Shalom. What else? You... you hmm. One, Ruth Haley Barton, she talks about discernment. She says it's recognizing and responding to God's presence. I kind of sense just peace in the room. It's kind of nice. What else? Anybody else? How did it go? Confirming. Go on. It's awesome. On the, you know, how are you coming to us? The idea that, like, Jesus is the Lord and he's still alive and he talks to the church. Any, any sense of what he was up to in our midst? It's awesome. Also stresses me out because I'm terrible at the little stuff. Does he handle that too? There you go. Yeah, good. Good. Thank you, Amy. One more. Anybody else? Is that a new thing? I'm still new to this mystic thing, so give me some grace.
Vamos. If, if you don't mind, will you put your hand on your heart? That place where your hand is over your heart is where God is actually pleased to dwell. God loves you as you are and not as you should be because you're never going to be as you should be. So, Father, who fills the heavens, may the love of God the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the com- and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with each of us. God, fill us and keep us, Lord. Go before us, make the rough places smooth and the crooked places straight. Would the glory of the Lord be our rear guard. Let us go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And let some trees clap their hands because it's in the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Go now and embrace the hope to which God has called us. Recognize Christ in friend and stranger. And as Christ has been gracious to you, be gracious to those in need. And may God give you a place of rest on rich pasture. May Christ Jesus be the shepherd king who binds to your wounds. And may the Holy Spirit give you wisdom and reveal to you the fullness of the one who fills all in all. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen.